When I was in college, I read a novel someone gave me um, about the life of St. Francis Xavier. It's a novel by an author named Louis de Wool, who wrote a lot of novels about saints, and they're very interesting, kind of action-packed retelling of, of uh, saints' lives. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, I found it a very appealing and interesting way to, to learn about St. Francis Xavier and his life, um, which was an amazing life. He uh, was a college student in Barcelona when he met St. Ignatius uh, of Loyola, who was ultimately the founder of the Jesuits, but at, the, at that time was just beginning his kind of um, journey as a, a, a new disciple and uh, studying to be a priest and stuff. And so he was there at the beginning of this movement in the 1500s and eventually would go off to the most distant lands imaginable at the time. He went off to China and India and Japan to preach the gospel um, to all people. And uh, he baptized something like hundreds of thousands of people in, in his uh, missions as a priest and as a Jesuit. Um, an amazingly courageous and zealous preacher of the gospel. And there's one scene in the book that I'll never forget. It struck me very deeply where he's with one of his brothers. Um, and I, I want to say it's in China. And the, the people there in this kind of rural area uh, don't like the influence of these priests. And they think Christianity is this foreign religion that's corrupting and undermining their culture. And so um, the priests are kind of in danger. And the chief kind of mayor, whatever, of this village is meeting with all of his elders and um, deciding what to do. And Francis Xavier says to his brother, we should just go. We should go talk to them. And the brother says, they could kill us. Like, we, we don't want to, like, give ourselves over to them, hand ourselves in. Uh, we should hide and wait to see what they decide. And Francis Xavier simply says to his brother, well, if God wants us to die to glorify him, what can we do to prevent it? And if God doesn't want us to die here, what can they possibly do to harm us? So let's go. <laughs> and the priest, he had nothing to say. His brother had nothing to refute it. It was true. But that was really what motivated Francis Xavier in his mission, was that everything was provided for by God. We use this word providence, God's providence that governs everything, meaning his wisdom. He, he either allows something to happen or makes it happen. There's nothing outside of God's providence. Um, nothing happens and God's like, whoops, darn it, I didn't know that was going to happen, or I didn't see that one coming, or I... I you didn't tell me, and so I didn't know, you know, to help you in this situation. God is everywhere, in everything, always working out his loving plan. Um, and the root of providence is provide. God provides, which is very much the attitude, if you follow Jesus through this scene in Nazareth when he's preaching uh, for the first time in the synagogue, and everybody praises him for his great words and his eloquence, but then he says something very challenging to them and points out these two Old Testament stories from the uh, book of uh, Kings of Elijah and Elisha. And they point to the fact that God's um, mission, his uh, grace, is not just for the Jewish people, just as this Jesus, the Messiah, is not just for these local people in Nazareth or whatever. And uh, that God's grace, in fact, often goes outside of our preconceived notions and limitations. And they don't like what they're hearing, and they decide they're going to throw Jesus off a cliff. You know, like a typical Sunday Mass. Like, if you didn't like what I was saying, you just go throw me off a cliff. It's like an extremely violent reaction that they have to this. And Jesus is totally calm. 
He doesn't freak out. He doesn't run and hide. It says, They rose up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went away. He just walks right through them. It's kind of like the woman caught in adultery. He just disarms them. It's all a bluff. Like, he's not afraid. They're the ones that are scared. That's where our courage comes from, is this confidence in God's providence. I remember I heard a story. Um, this guy said he was on a plane once in his youth. This was probably like 30, 40 years ago. This guy's in his 50s or 60s. And uh, it was like the worst turbulence. The, the pilot gets on the intercom and says there's going to be really rough turbulence ahead. And it was the worst he'd ever had. And like the oxygen masks fell down and it was like, we're going to crash kind of thing. And he was sitting next to a priest uh, in his Roman collar who had been praying the rosary before the turbulence started. He was just praying the rosary on the plane, as you do. And uh, while the turbulence is going on, people start like screaming and freaking out, uh, holding onto their, their seats and um, wondering what to do. And the, he noticed during that time that the priest never stopped praying the rosary and he was not freaking out. He was just totally calm. And finally the plane stabilized and everything went back to normal. And his heart is pumping and adrenaline. And he turns to the priest eventually. He's like, what are you doing? Like, what is that you're doing with those beads? You know, like, explain to me what that is. Um, And he explained it. He's a priest and the rosary. He's praying to Mary, uh, Jesus through Mary, etc. His faith in God. Um, And he says, why didn't you freak out when everybody else is freaking out? Like, what, what does that come from? And he goes... What choice do I have? Basically like saying, what am I going to leave the plane? <laughs> you know, I'm, this is where I'm at. And if God wants me to die right now and bring me to heaven, what can I do to stop it? And if God doesn't want me to die right now, why do I have to worry? You know, it's, it's really that simple. It sounds like simplistic, but that's faith. That's why we, we, our courage comes from entrusting ourselves to God who is all-powerful. Um, it's believing like Isaiah, uh, or is this Jeremiah? Prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. A prophet to the nations, I appointed you. Jeremiah knows that even before he existed, God knew who he was. There's nothing, in other words, outside of God's providence and his, his uh, plan for his life. And so if I didn't call myself into existence, if I didn't create myself, if I didn't choose the circumstances of my life, God did, then what's the likelihood that I'm going to rework them, figure them out, manipulate them so that I'm totally safe and get everything I'm looking for, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? I think a lot of our anxiety comes from the fact that we, we think that we're on for that stuff, when in fact what God wants to do is provide for us. Um, I'll say this, you know, something I always heard when I was growing up, uh, you've heard the phrase like change the world, like we've we got to change the world. Um, and I was, it was just kind of like taken for granted when I was younger that that was something we were supposed to do. <laughs> you know, like all of us young people, we are dissatisfied and we're going to change the world. We're going to change the things we don't like about the world. And God knows the world needs to change. A lot of things about the world need to change. Um, but it occurs to me that that attitude towards the world is, um, is kind of sad in a way because 
It, what we're saying is that in our youth, like the first thing that we, occurs to us when we meet the world in the freshness of youth, in the optimism of youth, is that it's not good enough. I don't like the world as it is. And I think what would help a lot is if we were open to the world, open to the people in the world, and our hearts were a little bit more vulnerable, if you want, um, coming to the world and saying, I want you to change, or coming to another person and saying, you need to change, means that I have not, like, really been open to you. I haven't, uh, like, allowed you to be yourself and, and uh, allowed you to change me. You know? And that's what, ultimately, I think this is, this is all about. What the people of Nazareth don't want to hear what Jesus has to say because they don't want to change. And if it's between the world and me, I think I'm the one that probably needs to change. My heart needs to change because I live out of this fear. And this is what I think we see so much today in ourselves and in, in others is um, kind of self-righteous, anger, uh, dissatisfaction, anxiety. And I think maybe at the root of it is this fear that I am not loved, that I am not provided for, that no one is finally looking out for me and therefore I'm not safe. And so I need to just defend myself, cordon myself off. Um, I read this story. There was a guy who, he was a conservative, he grew up a conservative Orthodox Jew, but then kind of in his teenage years rebelled um, and sort of did the secular thing and um, wasn't sure that God existed and, and lived life for himself pretty much. And he had an experience one day, and it was just like one of these inexplicable cosmic things where God was just so imminently present to him that he knew God existed. And he understood in that moment the moral meaning of the world, that everything that he did, there was a morality to it. It wasn't meaningless. Everything had a meaning. And he was, it was like his life flashed before his eyes, like they say it happens when you die. And he just was like um, filled with this confidence and this joy, but also regret at the things that he'd done that were selfish and, and ultimately not good morally. And he said the number one thing that he regretted was worrying whether or not he was loved. But you realize like so much of his actions came out of that. He was worried he wasn't loved, so he would put other people down, strive for lots of money or fame or status or whatever. Um, that in this moment being totally embraced by God, he was not worried about that at all. He realized that was such a silly thing to worry about. And he didn't really know who God was. He didn't start practicing his religion. He was confident in his Judaism still. But then a couple years later, he had another experience, but this time it was like a feminine presence. It was a motherly presence. And uh, it was the same kind of thing. He just knew himself to be loved. I think he woke up in the middle of the night and he just knew she was there. And he had this instinctive knowledge that it was Mary. And it was through Mary that he realized that God, who loved him so much, that he'd met those couple years prior, was Jesus. And he became, he eventually got baptized, became a Catholic, got First Communion Confirmation, um, and loved to tell the story of how God pursued him and showed him how much he was loved. Friends, that's the best we can do. And Jesus is here in this Mass, of course, in the Eucharist, uh, to give us this courage. At the root of courage, core, is heart. To give us his heart. Um, to not be afraid. To be able to walk through fire. To be able to walk through crowds that want to throw us off cliffs. To never be um, too afraid to be open to the world. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God did not come to change the world. He came to love it and restore it, redeem it. Um, And so let us allow him to do that work in our hearts, uh, to give us his heart.